Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. It's our first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we're going to concentrate on verse 4 and also verse 5 uh, through 7, 4 through 7, but to get context, we're going to pick up in verse 2, then we'll read down to verse 7. Paul says, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. And as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work. Last week, we, we looked at this verse, your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as the apostle and uh, the missionaries, and you'll notice in this letter, he often uses the, the, the word we, and he's referring to himself being Paul the apostle, also Silas is with him, and Timothy. So uh, the letter, even though it's, it's written by Paul, it is really from the three of them. He says, we're always thanking God uh, for you, always constantly praying for you day and night. And, and when we think about you, we think about the faithful work. Last week, we talked about, you know, being faithful in our day-to-day duties, being faithful in that, that work that we, that we have assigned to us by the Father. And he says, we think of your loving deeds, and, and we really define what biblical love was. We've allowed culture to redefine love. So we kind of straightened that out last week. We solved the world's problem, amen? And um, we spoke about what true biblical love is. True love calls a person up, calls a person higher, and also calls a person out, amen? And he says, and then the enduring hope that you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do have an enduring hope. Uh, it's a, a great hope. It's a, the blessed hope. We, we have something beyond this life to look forward to. Amen? And even when tragedy strikes near us and close to us, our hearts are broken, we, we are sad, but we also know that the moment that, that, that life ceases on this side, it begins in eternity. And that's the hope we have. And God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived and when, when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. And as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece, throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, the opportunity that we have to share your word this evening. Open our hearts and give us ears that would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And all God's people said, Amen. So I, I simply have two points I want to talk about tonight. The first one is this, look what God has done. I mean, really, look what God has done. Verse 4 tells us that God loves you. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian believers, and he is reminding them 
that they are loved by God. And sometimes I think we need to simply stop and soak in the knowledge that God loves me. Now, God's love is the basis of being chosen. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But God's love is the basis of his activity with mankind. So the activity of God toward uh, mankind is based from his love. Now, we know the word of God tells us. John said this in 1 John 4, 8. He says, God is love. The very first expression that we see, God so loved the world that he gave his only because it was his love for us. So God's love is the basis of his election or choosing of the Thessalonians. Now, this is important because it's not based upon their merit or their performance. It's based upon God's love. You being chosen to be a child of God is not based upon your talents, your giftings, your merits. It is based upon the nature of God, his love. I'm thankful that it's not based upon very well. Amen? Anybody identify with that? But it's based upon his love. Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Listen to what Paul told the church of Rome. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Woo-hoo. Tell yourself, I am loved by God. Tell yourself, God loves me. Now, it's really interesting because in the Greek world, in the first century, the election or the recruitment of political or military leaders had to do with their merits and the character of the persons chosen. But here in God's community, nothing less than the love of God is the cause of election, regardless of the positive or negative character or achievements of the person. So the relationship people had with the gods of the little g, the gods of the ancient pagan pantheon, was not based on love that the deity had for them. It was based upon their performance. So here's Paul come preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is founded in the love of God, that God loves you simply, he loves you, not based upon your performance, not based upon what you do, not based upon what you bring, he simply loves you. So you can imagine the impact that the gospel of Christ was having. Well, it's still true today. Church, because we live in a performance uh, a society, and so many people are trying to perform. But when we can really present the authentic message of Jesus Christ and get people to hear that God loves them as they are, it's not based upon their talents, not based upon their achievement, but it's based upon God's nature, God's goodness, and his love. It'll transform their life. Because then you go from a work base to a worship base. 
And it's totally different. It's totally different. God, you come to God through a worship over a human being could either be positive or negative in the Greek culture. But the God of the Christians, however, always worked for the good of those that he chooses and calls. Now see how revolutionary this, this gospel was to the Thessalonians. See, it was really, in Greek mythology, if you remember studying it back in high school, it, it really was depending on the mood of the God, the mood of the being, whether, whether you be favored or not. But here, the gospel of Jesus Christ is God is a good God. And he's always working good in those that love him or they're called according to his purpose. See, our God is not a moody God. He's a constant God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow and wondering if God's having a bad day or if he's in a bad mood. How you saw him yesterday, he is today. Now, you men ought to be shouting right now because you know what we're talking about, those moves that change in the morning. Well, let me tell you, I thought I had some manly men in this church. I can see, I can see you're a little, you're a little afraid. You're a little afraid to say amen too loud. It's all right, I get you. <laughs> Woo. Hmm. In First Thess Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4, the implication is, that this divine love also transforms these people from different sectors of society into a family of brothers and sisters. Listen to what, listen to what the apostle says. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you. God loves you, brothers and sisters. Go to 2 Thessalonians just for a moment. Look at chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 13. It says, as for us, we cannot help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. See what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It flows out of the love of God. Everything God does towards you flows out of his love. And, and notice what else is you have now received a new family, the family of believers. Now, this was very important in, in, uh, in talking to the Thessalonians because as we know from, from like verse 6 and different verses in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, this was a persecuted church. They had gone through much suffering. They had, they had gotten rid of their idols and the idol worship. And because of that, there was great persecution breaking out against them. Matter of fact, Acts chapter 17, you'll see they took one of their leaders, Jason, and drug him out of his own house. The mob was so incensed that they took this man, drugged him out of his house. So you can see how this church was being ostracized. And Paul is reminding them, brothers and sisters, in a very subtle way, he says, you got a new family. And that new family is based in the, those whose lives have been changed by the love of Jesus Christ. How many are thankful you got another family, the body of Christ? See, this family idea is important because these believers have been isolated by society because of their new allegiance. 
Verse 9, notice it, says, For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living God and the true God. Chapter 2, verse 14, he says, And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. So this idea of a new family resonated with the believers in Thessalonica. And Paul was reminding them. And church is important. It's important for us to realize when we walk through tough times, when we walk through times of, of being ostracized by society, that we have a family, and it's called the Church of Jesus Christ. We have the family. We are brothers and sisters. And it's important that we walk together as a family. So he says, listen, look what God has done. God loves you. So I want to encourage you this week, remind yourself that God loves you. He loves you as you are. He accepts you. And then he says in, in verse 4, he loved you, but he has chosen you to be his own people. You've been chosen to be God's own people. This speaks to me when I think of being chosen, when I think of being called. I think of, it speaks of possession. It speaks of ownership. It speaks of that I belong, I, I, I belong somewhere, I'm, I'm accepted somewhere, I'm, 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 I'm somebody's possession. Reminds me of what, of what Peter said in his first epistle, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, the King James, a, a chosen generation, amen? Uh, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. See, you've been chosen. You belong to God. That's important for you to realize. It's important for us to remind ourselves. I belong to someone. I belong to God. We are his very own. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How many are glad he's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light? How many are glad that you belong to the Lord, that you've been chosen by God? Now, that word here, possession, the New Living Translation uses that word possession. Uh, the King James uses that word peculiar, and uh, it's important. The Greek word literally means to make around, to make around, and that is to make something and then to surround it with a circle, thus indicating ownership. The same verb is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, in Isaiah 43, 21, which reads, This people have I formed for myself. They're mine. Now, the word peculiar today usually means odd. It means strange. But that's not the sense here that Peter used. The Greek word speaks of the unique, private, personal ownership of the saints by God. See, you've been chosen by God. See, when the enemy tries to attack your self-esteem, when the enemy tries to make you feel um, less than valuable, when the enemy tries to make you feel like a failure, can you remind the enemy you've been chosen by God? That you are his possession, you are his peculiar people, that, 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 that he, he looks at you, he sees you as a very unique, private, personal ownership, that you belong to him. And, and, and one theologian says this, each saint is God's unique possession, 
just as if that saint were the only human being in existence. Ooh, I like that. As if you're the only one. That's how unique you are. Each one of us are valuable. Because I want to remind you that you're loved by God and he's chosen you. He's chosen you. And when I think of being chosen, I think of that means he's my dad. He possesses me. He protects me. It speaks of authority. It speaks of authority. The God's authority in our lives has a sway over every aspect, even down to our bodies, down to our physical bodies. God, he, he, he has authority over our lives. Wouldn't we agree with that? He has authority over our spirit, has authority over our flesh, has authority over our physical being. He has authority. Why? Because, because he's chosen us. We belong to him. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, uh, it says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and, and was given uh, to you by God? Do you not, and you do not belong to yourself? Verse 20, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So you've been chosen by God. He, you, you've been bought by a high price. The high price was the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of his dear son. You, know, listen, you, you, don't, you don't belong to yourself, therefore, therefore you belong to God. He has authority over our life, has authority over our physical bodies. So therefore, we're to glorify God in all that we do. See, when we understand that, hey, we're loved by God, we're chosen by God. But with that comes a, a loyalty and obedience to the authority over us. When I think of being chosen by God, I, th I think of purpose. The fact that you've been chosen speaks to your purpose. So I want to I challenge us. Live, live for the kingdom of God. Live by kingdom principles. It calls us to something higher. When you realize you've been chosen by God, when you realize that God, you know, Jesus said this, look at his disciples. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And it's very important for us to remember, we didn't choose God. God chose us. It's very important for us to realize he's God and we're not. Amen. And, and we've been called, we've been chosen, and by that calling, uh, we now have a purpose to live by. And may we live by kingdom principles. Listen to what Paul writes to the church of, of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, notice this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Did you hear that? God loved you before the world was ever created. So don't let the enemy tell you that you're nothing but a mess up. Don't, let the, don't buy into those lies that you're nothing but a failure. Before you were ever born, God knew you. Before the world was ever created, God knew you. And guess what? He loves you. And it's a love. Before you ever did your first performance, he loved you. Hear me. He loved you and he chose us. To be holy and without fault in his eyes. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. All of this is through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. God wanted to do this. God wanted to love you. Nobody's made God love you. Nobody has forced God to love you. He wanted to love you. Nobody forced God to choose you. Nobody forced God to choose us. Nobody forced, forced us to hear. Listen, he wanted you to be his children. That's good news. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Let me reinforce it with another passage. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. What was his plan? To call us. To call us to live a holy life. Before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. And now he has made all this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me. Listen to what Paul said. God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. I need you to understand tonight God loves you and he's chosen you. You're called by God. Colossians 3, I'm going to keep giving you the word. Verse 12, since God chose you to be holy uh, people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender mercy. So here, because we've been chosen, now, now there's a, a, a purpose. There's a purpose, a new purpose. We're to clothe ourselves with Christ-like qualities. We're to clothe ourselves. See, being chosen... Being loved and being chosen speaks of, speaks of possession. You belong to him. It speaks of authority. He has authority in your life. He has authority to change directions in your life. He has authority to, to cause you to go left when you want to go right. He has authority to rearrange plans in your life. Now, I want to I settle something. I promise you, if God rearranges something in your life, it's because he's got something better ahead of you. He's not, he's not angry. He's not punishing you. He's got a better way, a better plan. Now hear me. It speaks that he's got authority in your life to do as he pleases. And it means, and it means, church, that what, what we've got to do is we've got to realize there's a new purpose that we're living by. And that new purpose is that we clothe ourselves. That we become who God has designed us to be. And what is so neat about the Thessalonian church is in these opening verses is Paul really brings out a whole lot of wealth for us today. Because we see this church, how they're learning to be faithful in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering. See, sometimes we equate faithfulness with only being able to be attained whenever things are going good. But when you read these letters and you really understand the background, you under, really understand what they were going through, you realize their faithfulness was being lived out in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, in the midst of setbacks. 
So look what God has done. God has loved you. God has, God has chosen you. And, and listen to this. And God has witnessed. Now look at verse 5. Verse 5. And I'm going to read it out of the uh, NIV or the New Living Translation. They want to read it out of the NIV. And then we're going to look at the message. So we'll break it down. The uh, New Living Translation says, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way that we lived when we were with you. Now let me read it out of the, new, uh, the NIV. NIV says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Now, let's get it down to a little uh, language we might can understand a little more. The message says, when the message we preach came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put still in your convictions. Now, I mean, when I read that, I said, man, Lord, we need some still in our convictions today. We need some still. We need, yes, and still isn't, isn't easily bent, isn't easily shaped. Listen, still, it holds true to the form that it is. And my God, I'm going to preach right here. We need some convictions that will keep us steady in the midst. Let's quit bending to appease and let's, let's, let's let the word of God so change us and so work power his work in us that it, that it develops godly biblical convictions that cannot be bent by the pressures of culture or the pressures of society. And church, when you have an experience with the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, so birth a difference in you that there will be convictions developed in your heart and life based upon biblical standard that when others try to change you, you won't bend underneath that pressure, but you'll stand strong because your life has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you look at this verse, that's what Paul is saying. He says, look at the interest that God's word has on you. It wasn't just, just mere words. You took it as, as the word of God. It was with power. And it's produced such a, such a wonderful result in your life. And this is what the word of God does. The word of God produces life. And the word of God gives convictions whereby to live. And that's so important. Now, we're talking about a church in the first century. But again, I remind you, what a relevant word for the 21st century church. There are pressures all around us to bend our convictions so that the door becomes wider. Hear me. May we not bend our convictions to appease. May we hold forth to the word of the living God and allow the gospel to bring change in people's life. Let me get to this. Something happened in you. Something happened. When the Thessalonians heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, something happened to them and something happened in them. The words they heard came with power. Power to change their life. Power to break the darkness. Power to bring deliverance. Power to destroy the yoke that binds. 
And church, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And hear me, when we receive the gospel in our life, when we receive the word, it's the power of God to bring salvation. It will break the darkness. It will bring deliverance. It will destroy the yoke that binds. And what Paul is telling the Thessalonians is that, is that when you heard the word, the word came with power, and it changed your life. See, it comes from embracing Jesus, the centerpiece of the gospel. One evidence that salvation is entirely God's work is the way in which it enters our lives. It comes not simply with words, but also with power. Now, that word power means the ability to do something. And the gospel always comes with inherent power, but its effect depends upon the hearer. Hebrews 11 or Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and mara. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, the word of God is powerful. But the effect is how we receive the word. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. So why is it foolishness to some and the power of God to others? It has to do with the hearing. It has to do with the receiving. It has to do with what you do with that word. The Thessalonians, when they heard this gospel about this God who loved them, not based upon their performance, not based upon uh, what kind of day they were having, but, but he loved them for the sake of just loving them. They were transformed by that gospel. When they heard about Jesus who gave his life and died upon the tree and was buried and raised to new life, that gospel penetrated their hearts and it produced results in them. It had a powerful effect. There are those for whom the gospel was simply words, interesting, perhaps even disturbing, but that is all. There are others that the power of the gospel explodes. The hearer allows the truth to penetrate the heart. And the Holy Spirit empowers the message so that it comes alive. Stirs the spirit within, brings conviction and change. And Paul says it wasn't just words, it it came with power. It changed your life. And church, may we allow the word of God to change our life. May we allow the word of God to come alive in us. May we give the Holy Spirit authority in our life to take the word of God and root out everything that needs to be rooted out. Take out everything and crucify it and allow that word to sanctify us. Allow that word to produce the powerful effects of a, of a transformed life to look and act like Jesus Christ. Wow. God wants you to be his children. So real quickly, I ran out of time. Point two. (laughs) I really want to preach this too. I got two minutes. Verse six, you receive the message with joy. With joy from the Holy Spirit. 
Church, that phrase right there, you receive the message with joy. And I thought, Lord, how, how are we receiving the message? I don't want to just read it just for mere words. I want to receive it. I want to receive it. It's going to change my life. I want to receive it. It's going to change my, it's going to change my faith. It's going to change how I look, change how I talk, change how I act, change how I do. Lord, I want to receive. There was something about these Thessalonians. When they heard the word, they received it with joy. And it says there, despite the suffering, despite what it was costing them, and it cost them dearly, dearly, real quick. How are we to receive the gospel for it to have the most impact on us? How are we to receive the gospel for it to have the most impact on us? Real quick, I'm going to give you four things and we're going to close. Receive it as the word of God. And you'll notice when you read these verses, you'll say they received the word of the Lord. They received it as the word of God. Chapter 2, verse 13, it says, We never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. So how are we to receive the gospel, receive the word, for it to have the most impact in us? Receive it as it is, the word of God. This is God talking to you. When you pick up that Bible, when you pick up that scripture, it's God talking to you. Jimmy, it's God speaking to you. Believe his word. We're talking about how to have, let it have impact in you. How it's going to produce that powerful effect. You receive it for what it is. It is the word of God. And then believe the word without faith without believing you've got to have faith believe now internalize the scripture get that scripture inside you internalize that word into your being but however it internalizes if it's through meditation if it's through uh memorization if it's through uh the old farmer said chewing the cud which means just going over and over and over and internalize the word of God. Get that word in you. It's got to get from the head to the heart. So whatever that process looks like in your life, make it happen. Because we're talking about how to allow the word to have the most impact in us. Because many people read and it never changes them. Many people read, they hear, and it never impacts them. The Thessalonians, when they heard, they received, and it had a powerful effect. It came not just in word, it came in it produced uh, uh, convictions in them that, that, that so transformed their life that suddenly they used to bow down to pagan gods and now, and now they're fleeing from idols. They used to go along with the crowd and now they're standing against the tide. Now there's something happening in them that produced such conviction. And Paul says you receive the word of God with joy. So how? How do we receive to have it? So you receive it as the word of God. You believe, have faith in his word. You internalize the scripture. And finally, you submit to kingdom principles. You submit. To, you got to put it into action. You got to put it in action. You got you to take what you read and you got to say, okay, Lord, how can I apply that to my life right now? How can I apply that to my situation? How can I apply that to my family? How can I apply that in my workplace? How can I apply this principle? Take that kingdom principle 
and apply it. How many is ready for the word of God to have impact in you? Look what God has done. He loved you. He chose you. Listen, he's called you, and, and, and he, he's given you a powerful witness. The witness is your life is no longer the same. You're different today than you were five years ago. You're different today than you were before you knew Jesus Christ. That right there says the word of God has had a powerful, it's the witness of the Holy Spirit within you. So, so what we've got to do is we, we've got to allow that word to continue. Look what we have become. And he went on to say, I'm going to stop with this. He went on to say, you followed our example. You imitated us. You imitated me and the Lord. And now, and now you are a witness to everybody in Macedonia. He says it's spread to everybody. So I want you to see, Paul imitated Jesus. They imitated Paul. So you'll see, and they became an example to others. May we live in such a way that if people would follow in our steps, it would lead them to Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together. Can we give God praise? Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. It's a joy preaching your word. It's a joy, God, taking your word and going verse by verse and speaking to us. And Lord, there's, there's no way that we can fully grasp everything that's just in these just few verses here. But Lord, I pray the things that we've highlighted tonight, it'll be a, a source of, uh, it'll be an anchor. It'll be a source of, of strength to us. And may the word begin to change us. God, may we, if people who are struggling with the thought that, does God love me? I pray tonight they'll walk out of this place knowing they're loved by God. Lord, uh, uh, those who are struggling with the idea of, of who they belong to, I pray that they'll know as, that God has chosen them. That they are his peculiar people, his possession. And Lord, Lord, that, that he, you have authority in our life. Authority to speak, authority to lead, direct, and authority to change direction. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to allow the word of God to have a powerful effect in us. Help us to receive the word with joy. Help us, Lord, to allow the word to to develop steel-like convictions, steel-like convictions that won't bend to pressure. Lord, there's so much pressure in our society, so much pressure in our, in our culture to compromise. Help us, Jesus. Help us to have steel-like convictions that are produced by the powerful effect of the Word of God in us. We surrender to you. Let's worship God. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord.